Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're talking about Lyceum, a school for community life which has been revived in Des Moines. We'll be visiting with Nathan Beacom, a young Catholic adult responsible for launching the revival of Lyceum, which fosters community and conversations. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the Bishop's mind. It's going to be really illuminating for me to, to learn about this. So, right. But, uh, in, in the meantime, here we are already moving through mm. the month of April. Uh, we've been praying in a special way with our Holy Father's intention for healthcare workers. Constant of uh, conscious of the many ways in which they not only with the pandemic but other ways uh, their vocation and the challenge they have to bring the healing Jesus the risen Lord mm-hmm. brings to, to people he continues to to show but the the wonder and miracle miraculous works yield now to the works that he stirs faith in our minds and hearts so we're grateful for that uh, lovely uh, opportunity to be in the various parishes in a celebratory way with confirmation Saint John Norwalk Assumption Granger. And tonight at St. Pius X in Urbandale, last night, we, you know, we gave fair shrift to the, the students at University of Iowa at the Newman Center. You know, I was at Iowa State last month uh, <laughs> and more more familiar home territory That's for right. me. Uh, but uh, uh, friendly and greeting there as well with, uh, with those folks. I'm not going to get to participate in the uh, Drake Realizer Witness. You know, that's always, that's one of my, on my list here. Oh. Uh, now, you know, third third time back in, you know, born mm-hmm. third year and still haven't uh, taken part of the Drake Realize. So that. Uh, it's going to be something I look forward to. Are you a Relays fan? Uh, I've done the road race before, but I haven't ah. seen any. Actually, they used to, this is crazy, but they had pole vaulting at a Jordan Creek Mall at one point, which sounds really weird. But then they also had a high jump at one of the grocery stores in town. So I've seen those. Yes. Various venues. Various, yeah, yes. Yeah, to get out and about. Yeah. So, but uh, things happening here. And, you know, we think about the, the appearances of Jesus, but uh, other strange phenomena happening here that uh, those who uh, represent the church in other ways are getting involved with. Kelly, what do you have for us? Yes. Yeah, so uh, down under Australia, this father, Liam Ryan, uh, has just received the impressive Australian Bravery Award for paddling out to sea and rescuing a, sur- a surfer who's trying to fend- fend off a great white shark, a five meter great white shark. Um, it actually happened two years ago, but uh, I'm sure the pandemic slowed this award down. <laughs> the news from Australia just don't get here <laughs> yeah. as quickly. Well, the pandemic. You know, it, was you know. in, it was in the bottle, you know, I had to it wash up on shore. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, people here in Iowa say, well, you know, yeah, in so the media, he, in mainstream media. <laughs> yeah, they paddled out there. He was with a friend. It was very providential timing. He saw the shark lunge at the surfer. Um, caught his bit his um, board and then part of his leg narrowly missing an artery. We've talked about that in my classes too. <laughs> One of the classics. So it wasn't Sharknado or anything. It wasn't Shark. No, no. Tornado. It's Shark Week or no? Okay. But uh, just as uh, memorable and exciting. Yes. So his father, father himself, a surfer. He, they were out he, paddling. He kind of has that look. I don't know if it long. was a paddle board or a surfboard, but I think maybe it was a paddle board. But they helped him in a very timely manner so uh, they saved the guy's life okay mm-hmm. wow so <laughs> well, never know I, I don't Lord's know that that's in our faculties for the diocese of des moines priests or not but uh you know running shark attacks but uh things that people get involved in so yes. uh grateful for the support at the blessman gala this week uh, blessman ministries obviously in in south africa and a great sponsor iowa catholic radio as well as the sarens too you know we had the uh, bishop's burst uh, dinner uh, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago uh and again the promotion of vocations you know we mm-hmm. had the appearance 
experience by Susie Flood and John Schlotman, but uh, we're grateful for the ways in which uh, they're continuing to, to serve and stir people along. So getting into the season of love, weddings again, and, mm-hmm. and people, I think, uh, allowing that uh, to have their weddings in churches and the venues that are part of that. And so here we are on the, on the cusp of May Day also. So the, the many blessings and the appearances of uh, the, the Easter season that people would celebrate the whole 50 days leading up to Pentecost. And so continue to ask people to pray for our visioning process, uh, praying for vocations to religious life and priesthood as we are seeing the fruit that's born. Uh, Father Ross Parker tells me we've got four men who've applied to, to go to seminary this fall. Let's go for six. Let's right. go for Why eight. Not? Yeah. <laughs> Why not more? So, all right. We're, uh, we're going to take a quick break and return. We'll visit with Nathan Beacom to talk about Lyceum. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. On today's show, we're talking about Lyceum, a school for community life, which has a long history and has been recently revived in Des Moines. Our guest today is Nathan Beacom of St. Ambrose Cathedral, a young Catholic adult responsible for launching the revival of Lyceum. So good morning, Mr. Beacom, Nathan, if I can call you that, please. Sure. Yeah, it's great to have you and live with us here in the studio or with us in the studio. So, yeah, yeah, thanks for good. having me. Uh, you know, people are going to think that you know you have to be a card-carrying philosopher to get access on this show. That's not the case. <laughs> Kelly has arranged for the, the recent guests, <laughs> uh, but uh, you have a little bit of that pedigree as you went to the University of Saint Thomas. But you're a native of Central Iowa, is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was born in Sioux City, grew up mostly here in the Des Moines area, though. Um, and I went to the University of Saint Thomas, where I studied philosophy um, with the intention of being a philosopher until. Uh, Just had no seminary uh, overtones. No seminary overtones. Truth for its own sake. Yes, exactly. I just (laughs) was thirsty for wisdom. Um, But but I did want to be a philosophy professor, and it wasn't until the end of my undergrad that um, some of my teachers and mentors said, you know, maybe that's not a great idea. There aren't. You know, it's not a great market for philosophers these days. So, um, injustice. They had to tell you that. Yes, you know, they you know, did, and, and uh, they said, unless this is the only thing you could ever see yourself doing, probably do something else. Yeah, just how how of deep the... is the love affair here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can always read philosophy, you know, in the evenings. So, yeah, but to, to make a meal of it. So, so mm-hmm. what did unfold from there then? Once you got that wise counsel? Yeah. So after that, I kind of had to look for what's next, and I was led into the world of public policy. Um, and I worked in Washington for a couple of years at a think tank and then in rural Nebraska at a, um, a different think tank. Um, Not the first place that springs to mind when we think about think tanks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was part of the reason I wanted to go there because uh, I thought it was a good thing that it was outside of that, that D.C. bubble where all that stuff goes on, that there was something yeah. in, you know, uh, Burke County, Nebraska. Um, trying to put forth policy ideas too. Um, and that plays into, into, into kind of the genesis of the Lyceum. So just to pause though with Washington, D.C., I mean, mm-hmm. can one keep one's soul in Washington, D.C. or not? Now, having lived there for a little bit, but uh, not in that, that high octane realm of, of ideas and the public policy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, because so many young people are involved in that scene, right? Definitely, definitely. There's constantly a stream of young people coming in either idealistic or ambitious or some combination of the two. Um, and whether you can keep your soul, I think it's, uh, it's possible, but tricky. Uh, there are a lot of temptations in politics and, um, temptations to power or wealth or influence or acclaim, you know, just like you'd imagine. Mm -hmm. So there are people I know there are sincere people on 
and many different points of view there who are trying to do good things, but uh, it's not the easiest um, place to keep your intentions pure. Mm-hmm. So with Nebraska, did this fit with the, the particular focus you had in public policy? or Yeah, it... so I've always been interested in rural policy, um, even when I was in D.C. and farm policy and small towns and small businesses. And mm-hmm. I worked on a little bit of that in D.C., but wanted to focus more and wanted to be back just in the Midwest. So that was what I did in um, in Nebraska at the Center for Rural Affairs is kind of advocate on rural issues. Was specifically with agriculture or economic or, you know, we think about the, the declining mm-hmm. populations, the demographics are not always good, you know, if there's not some connection with an urban area. Mm-hmm. You know, and, right. Yeah. Yeah. In rural areas, it's so many of the issues are intertwined, the economic and agricultural issues and, and why people are leaving uh, once they get out of high school or, or at whatever time. And so and so for me, it had to do with some of the dynamics of agricultural markets and but you know, everything else as far as education and hospitals and, and food, because as those resources and population leave rural areas, they also begin to miss out on all the other kinds of resources. It's a, sort of a domino effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think, you know, it seems to me the springing up of satellite clinics, you know, is, is a phenomenon that at least gives some access to health care and telemedicine and things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. no doubt uh, it stretches rural folks, you know, in this way, you know, with the yeah, one that's right. and, and raise families in that way too. Right. So was it uh, the World Food Prize or something else that led you to Des Moines then to cross the Missouri River here? And yeah. Conscious of our friends in the Spirit Catholic Radio Network in, in, in Nebraska and beyond. Sure, sure. Well, I did gain a lot of affection for Nebraska uh, in my time there. Um, but coming back to Des Moines, it's just Des Moines is home. And I had this idea for quite some time to start the Lycia movement. And um, last year I received a small um, challenge grant from a nonprofit called Lead for America to kind of give it a try. And so um, I always wanted to start it in Des Moines. I thought Des Moines was the perfect place to do it for a number of reasons. It's not too big, not too small. And so that's why I headed back. So it was very intentional then. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So you're really going to school me here. I mean, Lyceum, I, I, have, I have a whiff of Puritan, you know, 19th century, you know, you know, some of the uh, mm-hmm. enlightenment, or, you know, transcendentalists and things like that. Is this connected in any way? And then, you know, the floating around in my weird head is, you know, Chautauqua movement and things like that, where people, you know, it's kind of public moments to engage ideas. Yeah, that's all exactly right. Those concepts all kind of orbit around the origin of the Lyceum. Um, it started in 1826 in Connecticut. Um, there was a farmer named Josiah Holbrook who had this idea that education and deep thinking and big ideas should be available outside of. At that time, you had this handful of universities that were kind of for a small set of wealthy people. Um, and so he Which started, at that time were religiously affiliated. Yes. Most have jettisoned that uh, you know, relationship. Right. They, yeah. they functioned, I think, as largely as seminaries at that time. But... Um, but he wanted to just provide a place where farmers and mechanics and working people could also continue their learning and their formation. And he said the purpose of it was for the diffusion of knowledge, the elevation of tastes, and the forming of good citizens. And that remains kind of a good definition, although in an older kind of English of what we're hoping to do today. Um and so uh, after he started it, it took off and became a phenomenon. There were more than 3,000 lyceums across the country uh, by mid-century. Uh, Abraham Lincoln gave his first public speech at a lyceum. 
Frederick Douglass would tour through, he came through lyceums here in Iowa and made his case against slavery. <laughs> um, and it functioned as kind of the place for Americans to engage with ideas together uh, with their neighbors. And so, um, yeah, and, and it existed in Iowa almost from the beginning of Des Moines in 1851. So one of the first things they thought to do uh, here was to build a lyceum, a place where you could get together and think with your community. And um, that's the kind of thing that in the intervening years, I think a lot of our communities have lost. Well, we, we lament the, the, the lack of civil dialogue in our country and how radically polarized we can become mm -hmm. and, and adversarial and all of this and, right. and you know, reducing people and their, their arguments, whether we use the word cancel or not. But uh, uh, so the Lyceum is both a place, there's a locus for it, but it's mm -hmm. more a kind of moral and spiritual society or uh, am I, am I on track here? Nathan? Yeah. Help me out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think it's, it's locally focused, but it's kind of a broader community between these locations. Um, so we have locations right now in Des Moines and Kansas and in Minnesota. Um, and, and, and what it is is a place for people to kind of form relationships around searching after knowledge and, and wisdom together. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. And it presents an alternative, you know, as uh, the Lyceum faded away, mass media was growing and that became the new way for people to engage with ideas. And that went from radio to papers to 24 hour news to social media. And I think with each of those steps, we lost more and more about how to engage charitably and thoughtfully with ideas. And so where we are today, I think people are hungry for something that's less toxic than the way of engaging online. And our hope is that by getting people face to face, we can, we can find better ways of engaging with each other. Now, I mean, you know, I myself could be intimidated that if I have to come to this, I have to sound halfway smart. I mean, is that something that, <laughs> you know, you're looking for certain credentials or just yeah. a passionate interest or, you know, can, can one come and maybe just kind of feel it out and listen more than, you know, being an active uh, voice in the conversation? Sure. Yeah, not at all. It's, it's, um, you know, like I mentioned, we have them in Des Moines. We also have them in some smaller communities and we have, Everybody from farmers to construction workers to college students to retirees to professionals, whatever. It's it's pretty broad based and it's also very casual. So it, it's, it doesn't feel like an academic setting or school setting. You know, we have beer and wine and it's it's a chance to kind of hear from these interesting people in our community um, who you might not ordinarily get to the chance to hear from. So um, uh, last week we had the director of the State Historical Museum and and Dave Price, who's been a longtime political reporter at uh, Channel 13. Um, and we just had an informal conversation, got to hear a lot of the really fascinating stories. And then people can kind of get into it together um, after after we hear from the speakers and kind of engage those same themes. So it's not like a TED talk or something, you know, where they give a 20 minute uh, plus or minus and then, you know, that's right. it. You know, it's you... more like a conversation. Yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. you are intentional in choosing and inviting people to come and kind of get the get the conversation going yep yeah. so we'll have our first portion usually have some person who has some kind of special expertise or story to tell and and or a set of people who have different perspectives and uh and so um in in that event the question was why does it matter should it matter to know the history of this space place specifically des moines or of our state um so we heard those two perspectives from two very knowledgeable people and then 
there's the opportunity to kind of share your own thing and talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you the major domo choosing the topics or, I mean, you're, you're the, obviously the, the catalyst here, but uh, yeah. And in general, it's the topics are a combination of seeking out, you know, what kind of stories and expertise are available and also kind of crowdsourcing just from people I talk to about what would be interesting. Mm -hmm. So the longer you're here, the more networking you do. And then people kind of, Hey, Nathan, have you thought about this? Yeah, exactly. And, and there are just so many fascinating stories in our area. And, and, uh, my dad worked with a gentleman who was a refugee from Laos and he's not a public speaker or anything, but he has a fascinating story and a lot of interesting insights from his particular background. And, um, yeah, Des Moines is just full of fascinating people with interesting things to say and maybe not always a place to connect with people who want to talk about those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you yourself are a man of faith. You're mm-hmm. a Catholic. Uh, you're kind of, you know, discerning whether St. Peter's or St. Ambrose Cathedral. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, Kelly, you know, and, uh, and, you know, we'd be happy to get you envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> or, you know, electronic fun, but no. Uh, but uh, so, you know, St. Augustine's has also been a place that you, you felt comfortable with. There mm-hmm. really is a young adult professional community at St. Augustine's, isn't there? Yeah, I think you get some people from Drake and, and, and DMU. And, and so there's some younger folks there for sure. And, and I started going there. My family started going there in grade school. So a lot of old friends uh, come from there for me. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's home in lots of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, yeah. So your fiance did not necessarily choose, uh, the feast of St. Augustine, uh, August 28th for that reason, but, uh, that, uh, that's a happy coincidence. Right. He's, he's popping up again. And what's her name? What, uh, you want to give her a shout? Yeah. Benya, Benya Krauss. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, you didn't meet at University of St. Thomas then. No, no, no. We, we met in a very in a very kind of roundabout way, um, if I can just go off topic for a second. I, but it's, just, it's making it personal, <laughs> Since man, it's making it personal, it. it's just kind of a fun story, and it's radio-related because um, I've written for a, a magazine called Comment, which is uh, not denominational, but it's a, it's a magazine. It's a tagline. It's public theology for the common good. And I heard this gal on this podcast that they put out talking about a lot of these themes about um, dedication to community and to place and to your neighbors and things like that. And I thought that was really interesting. So, um, I shot her an email and I said, you know, Hey, if I could help connect your work to Nebraska through the nonprofit she works with, uh, let me know. Um, and I happened to be driving through Minnesota the next weekend. And so we, we got lunch instead of zoomed and the rest is history. Ooh, yeah, yeah that is intriguing. So, <laughs> so common passions, really. Yes, you know? definitely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, many blessings on your preparation. Thank and you. The actual marriage itself. So, mar- marvelous to have that. Uh, you know, theology can be a you know a match on the on the gasoline can. You know, I mean, so is that something you try to skirt, or is this uh, is this fair grounds for people to sure. bring into the conversation? Yeah, well, I think I think there was something positive about the old lyceums and Chautauquas, which was that um, they weren't afraid to talk about theology or about God in a public setting. Um, and I think we have a fear today that to do that is to be proselytizing or to be evangelizing. Mm-hmm. And so people's walls come up. But I think it, it's good to kind of model a different way of engaging. You can have a, a non-threatening and kind of honest conversation because... 
Um, God and religion are topics that have affected all of human culture since as far as we know and today affect human culture in deep ways. And so in that sense, it's, it's kind of, I think probably impossible to talk meaningfully and just ignore it. Um, so in that sense, it's not in, it's not a focus necessarily of the Lyceum, but also not something that, um, we would just kind of try to ignore, you know, it's, it's, um, part of what, the great human conversation has always been about. And so it's, it's part of our conversation Asking as well. the ultimate question, right. you know, our existence, you know, where this is going, what's good for us to do together. Yeah, exactly. And personal rights and all those things that might be there. Have you ever had to kind of uh, step in and, and uh, moderate things a little bit or, you know, uh, dial down the intensity. Sure. I'll tell you what, I I had this tendency once in a while to ask you a question right as we're going into break, <laughs> okay. so, and I did it again, Nathan. So <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. Listen, Megan, personal Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Welcome back. We are back with Nathan Beacom speaking about Lyceum. So I was trying to provoke you before the break. You know, there have been times where people get a little intense because the, the passion and ideas matter. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that uh, you, you don't have to have uh, moderators or, you know, security guards uh, present. Yeah. No security guards. <laughs> no no guards tasers at, at or anything point. like that. <laughs> no tasers. Um, no. Uh, so part of, part of what we do is also we, we're trying to get people together face to face and also trying to model fruitful ways of talking. And so to that end, I think our, our speakers that we invite, they understand what the ethos of, of it is and, and they model good conversation. And, um, and also we have a set of, of habits that are kind of posted or that are shared. And these, these six habits of conversation, um, which are things like trying to read your neighbor's words in the most generous light, um, thinking of ourselves as ultimately somehow on the same team, even when we disagree, um, the those, human team, the human know? team, exactly. <laughs> and, and we want what's best for our town and for our state and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, those kind of things then I think tend to create an atmosphere where people do engage, uh, a bit more generously. And we also aren't, aren't really about, um, necessarily the hot topics. We're about trying to go kind of deeper and learn about history and stories and, and philosophy and ethical ideas and, and go on that level where, where we can engage apart from kind of the the anger that exists in our political conversation. So this isn't a debate forum in any no, way. No, it's much more nor nor simply mutual. like the storytellers forum. I mean, it seems some its own unique thing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's this like trying to get face to face to face conversation going? That was a Freudian slip uh, <laughs> uh, uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, did you worry you're going to have to give your grant money back or? <laughs> well, it's, it's, there's always uncertainty, you know, with, with the Omicron spike in January, it was, that was the situation where, you know, we have to assess, do we have it this month or not? Um, but, you know, we, we really got started last fall and that's when broadly, aside from January, things started to kind of taper down and, and people are really hungry for, to be in person actually. And, um, and once they're there, I think they realize how much they've missed it, even not just from the pandemic, but more broadly in our times, the opportunity to, to talk to new people and get to know your neighbors. Uh, people just come out usually like very smiley and with this great energy, because we have a thing where, um, this is like a sociologically documented thing where we are afraid to talk to strangers. People always rate themselves 
as afraid to talk to strangers, but then report that they're happy that they did. They come out of the interactions typically feeling very positive, and that's been our experience yeah. as well. Coming out as joyful and, and as true neighbors, you know, what a marvelous outcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, this does touch on a, a kind of an existential fact is that, you know, this, I think, kind of endemic loneliness that mm-hmm. people experience, young people and others. You know, I mean, I think I saw a survey recently where young mothers are some of the mm. loneliest category in our society. Is this intentional or is that just a kind of happy byproduct uh, that yeah. maybe you're addressing that? Yeah, that's definitely part of our consideration. Um, it's across all kinds of measures that loneliness is increasing in our society today. And, and people don't know or trust their neighbors, don't have as many friends as they used to. And history has lessons for this because this is not the first time that this kind of thing has happened. The industrial uh, industrial revolution uh, saw some similar factors and it took intentional grassroots uh, effort for people to get together and not be isolated for us to come out of that. And that was in the form of things like the Rotary Club and uh, religious organizations and Boy Scouts and things like that. And so the Lyceum is an intentional grassroots effort to get people uh, back uh, in a room together and um, precisely to have a chance to make new friends and build new relationships. Wow. We've whetted my appetite. Can a guy as old as me come? You know, uh, and, and 60, 60 something. Yeah. Is welcome. Yeah. And uh, it's Lyceum, L-Y-C-E-U-M. Mm-hmm. Is there a website for this? Or? Yep. Lyceum, spelled like that, movement.org is our movement. website. Movement.org. Good. All right. Well, thank you, Nathan Beacom, for being with us today. Right. Thanks yeah. very much for having me. This has been another edition of Making a Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and all of our listeners in Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin, wherever you may be listening to Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org.